Welcome to another episode of Business Beyond Borders. Today, we are looking into the field of the startup space. We have with us today, Victor Kiosef, someone who's really experienced in the startup field, having built multiple startups from scratch over the past few years. He has also lived and worked across multiple countries from Bulgaria, Greece, Denmark, Taiwan, Indonesia, and Singapore. Learning about different cultures and having lived and worked across different countries is definitely something that makes his startup experience a unique one, and we can't wait to dive in to learn more in a short bit. Today, Victor is the Chief of Staff at Doquity, Southeast Asia's largest community of healthcare professionals. He supports the founding team in both um, in multiple areas across crucial projects such as product development as well as talent management. He's also the entrepreneur in residence at Big Bang Angels Inc., an early stage institutional investor that supports cross border startups across Singapore and South Korea. They also support companies on their business expansion plans through Singapore and Canada, and we can't wait to learn more. Let's dive in, Victor. Welcome to today's episode. Thank you so much for having me and thank you very much for the great intro. <laughs> no worries. Um, maybe we can start off by learning more about um, your day-to-day -day job now um, in Dalkuti as Chief of Staff. Sure, we'd love to learn a bit more about what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, Chief of Staff is the kind of role that no one knows what it is. <laughs> every, every week I would get a random pitch for a, either for an HR solution or for something that's completely out of scope for what I do on day-to-day. <laughs> So it's a very unique role and I think once a month I write on LinkedIn what it is actually to mm -hmm. be chief of staff. Uh, but you know, in my case, it's also from chief of staff to chief of staff, it's also quite different because yeah. I'm part of a meetup of different chief of staff okay. here in Singapore. And whenever we meet, you know, I realize that again from company to company is quite different. Yeah. In the case of Dokwiti, you know, uh, in year one, so last year when I joined, I did all kinds of work like from recruiting, for executive roles uh, for the founders and then you know just vetting candidates until the last round when mm -hmm. the founder would show up you know sometimes jumping on calls with investors and you know yeah. just answering hard questions out <laughs> of the blue or you know at, at other moments uh, stepping up into different executive roles because yeah. we don't have someone at that time and i need to lead the team temporary um so a, a bit of everything so it's like jack of all trades and just the right hand of the founders yeah and my role slowly has shifted more and more towards special projects okay and under special projects i essentially built uh products from zero to one okay. in a stealth mode mm. uh, and once we validate that there is potential in that product only then we bring it and to the core product and integrate right right, right so right. that's how it kind of evolved over time which is your favorite um, secret mission as a chief of staff over the past few years? Hmm. I, I do like the most building. Okay. So what I do right now, I think I was gradually pulling my responsibilities towards that. Yes. So whenever I noticed something wasn't working or, you know, like we would have a discussion and we would uh, talk about, oh, it would be great if we can have that, but then, you know, it would take so much time to build yep. that. And you know, then I would just, in my spare time, would go and build a quick mm -hmm. prototype and then bring it to the founders and they're like, oh, how did you build that so yeah. fast, right? You know, so like I did a bit of a bit of that and whenever I was working with that, I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. So I think gradually they just gave me more and more freedom to do that because yeah, they saw that I, I can get it done and you know, they're happy with the outcome. So yeah, eventually I just ended up doing all of this. Very nice. And what's your personal philosophy towards product building? I have learned the card way by failing a lot of things, you know, like so making a lot of mistakes uh, uh, in my entrepreneurial journey. So I do like to build really fast, mm. um, like using low code, no code yeah. solutions. And then, you know, learning as much as I can by having interactions with users or clients. 
Um, and I do believe that growth solves all of your problems. So, you know, like just really trying to figure out what's important for this particular product and then, you know, accelerate growth as much as we can. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because I think you learn a lot more by doing versus, mm -hmm. you know, anticipating and debating. Correct. Because you know, a lot of product teams end up, you know, just having these big conversations <laughs> uh, around what they want to do versus, yeah. you know, by just doing it real quick. You just learn so much more, correct, right? Correct, so correct. I I have this urge to do things, <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it's unreasonable. I can sense it because the team is like it's just impossible. <laughs> uh, but at times, you know, I feel like this urge really helps you to get the job done, no matter how hard it seems to be. Because I think in technology, you can you can get the job done in so many different ways. Correct. correct. Right? There is no one path. Yes. Right. So yeah, like really getting it fast. I think it's. It's paramount. Okay. And also, I uh, we understand that previously you were the CEO of uh, Greenhouse Co., a company that supports foreign companies entering fast-growing markets and wanted to learn a bit more about your experience there while helping companies to do so, expanding across different countries. What were some of the insights or nuances that you have observed um, over the past, your experience there? And also, um, what advice do you have for companies looking to expand to new markets? Yeah, so at Greenhouse, we built a marketplace for service providers who are focused on professional services. When I speak okay. of professional services, I mean business development, recruitment, mm. legal, so pretty much everything you need. As a foreign company coming into the region, okay. it can be pretty intimidating. Yeah. I mean, Singapore is a different story because it's very like transparent, it's yeah. all in English. So Singapore is not a challenge. Yeah. The challenge is outside Singapore, mm. about Indonesia, Philippines, Vietnam. These markets become really, really difficult. Yeah. So, you know, uh, working with the right partner can mean the world to you, right? Mm. Can really make a lot of progress or otherwise it can the wrong partner can kill your business. So I think a lot of companies, you know, um don't prepare enough before coming in. They yeah. they look at the map and they're like, oh this market looks amazing. It's it's huge. And you know, um I think it definitely will work for us. But the reality is that all these markets are really, really difficult and price sensitive. Yeah. Um and most companies assume that they will just kind of activate a network of partners like distributors or resellers mm. that want to sell their product or service. But then again, the reality is that all these distributors and resellers work with a bunch of other companies. Yeah. So yeah. why would they prioritize you, right? You know, yes. and then there is a lot of, you know, science and art to how do you get this done? Yeah. Not to say that it's impossible. Of course it's possible. And there's many, many companies that have been successful. The challenge is, you know, like how do you navigate the culture? How do you build, you know, different campaign around each country like even at Dokwiti we operate across all countries mm. here in Southeast Asia right yeah. and we've been fairly successful in Indonesia Malaysia Philippines Vietnam mm. Thailand and Taiwan yeah and you know in each market the playbook is different yeah there is some similarities absolutely but it's very different and whenever we try to copy something that works in one market yeah. and bring it to another it yeah. almost never works <laughs> you know so like I think that's the mistake a lot of companies do they just don't really plan well and they, yeah. they don't try to localize enough mm. their solution and they just expect quick results uh, which of course you know in these markets can take more time than i guess in an american market which is you know much more mature and you know yeah. people are not price sensitive and they're okay. used to the business and you know they see you know the benefit of using software over extended yeah. period of time whereas in southeast Asia is still kind of a new thing correct 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 and and diving a little bit more into what you have shared um how is it Maybe could you share with us one or two examples of um, these nuances that you have observed, maybe in Indonesia or Thailand, for example. How has your experience been observing these countries? Mm. So like, for example, let's take Indonesia. I spent four years in Indonesia. 
uh, and I love Indonesia. You know, my my girlfriend's from Indonesia. I have a lot of friends there, so I, I do visit once a month, and okay. I like it quite a bit. Yeah. But at the same time, I think Indonesia is a quite a difficult market. I think first of all, overall, it's a very laid back okay. country, right? So it's very hard to rush people and tell them, oh, you know, like I need this tomorrow. <laughs> you know, people get really like frustrated, and you know, like they don't like to be pushed too much. Okay. I think it's part of the culture. Mm. So like finding the right balance of you know being strict and making sure the business grows but also you know like being supportive right uh, it, it's very tricky yeah uh, and, and also it's a very religious country mm -hmm. so you know like in the beginning i used to be shocked when someone's gonna be oh i'm gonna go pray and i'm like now <laughs> like why now right like and, and it just it's expected that you know that and over time you do learn that yeah but you know in the beginning it can be a bit shocking for the foreigners because you know we yeah. are i guess less religious and mm -hmm. we don't anticipate these kind of things right. um so yeah indonesia has been really tricky uh, very laid back very chill uh very religious so it's very important to respect their uh, holidays and yeah. all kinds of you know different um, celebrations that mm -hmm. they have also very collectivistic and and you know like i used to when we when we ran greenhouse in the beginning we used to have a co-working space so we would gather a lot of people and do all kinds of different activities. Yeah. And in the beginning, I was like, okay, let's follow the Western playbook. Let's bring some really kick-ass speakers and that's going to bring the crowd and yeah. people are going to come together and, and that's going to build a community. And we brought some interesting speakers and no one showed up. <laughs> and I was like, what's going on? Like, why is it yeah. not working? This has always worked in the West. And then, you know, um, I was talking to, you know, one of my employees and I, I kind of gave her a, a lead to design something herself. Yeah. And she just brought food. And she just bought a lot of food. And everyone showed. And you know, and there was no agenda, there was no people there like speaking. And people just showed up for the food and they loved it. And they had so much time and we got a lot of good reviews afterwards. And I was like, this is so fascinating, right? You know, like everything that I believe to be true, it just doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, so I learned that lesson the hard way. Okay, okay. And what about your current role as um, entrepreneur in residence in Big Ben Angels Inc.? Um, maybe you can share a little bit more about what you do there. So, you know, Big Bang has a portfolio of Korean startups that uh, their thesis is that they would help them expand. Okay. You know, because Korea is a very exciting market, but it's a small market at the mm. end of the day. So the government is really pushing for the local uh, startup ecosystem to grow into international oh, success okay. cases. So I spend a lot of time helping them build their go-to-market and adapt their deck. Nice. And the thing about the startup ecosystem in Korea is that most of the founders come from, you know, LG or Samsung yes, or yes. Hyundai, and they're super technical, yeah. PhDs, much older. Right. So, you know, they're like highly technical. When you look at their deck, so sophisticated, so complicated. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I have no idea what you're doing, right? So, I <laughs> spent a lot of time with them, you know, just trying to polish the message yeah. and make it crisp and easy to understand. So I think the challenge many of these companies are doing are having is, is just how do they communicate the value they're creating? Mm. Uh, and also because again, the culture and, and these people are much more senior, yeah. right? So they would expect to be treated with a lot of respect yes. and, you yes. know, and, and they think that when they pitch internationally, someone cares about whether they have a PhD or not. Yeah. And of course I do uh, pay attention and mm. I do notice these kind of things. But it's not like it makes a huge difference in my mind. Right, but they right, expect right. that everyone's going to treat them with a yes. lot of respect. So it's a lot of coaching around, you know, how, how do you prepare? How do you do business with different cultures? Yeah. And, and, you know, now, now you're going to them, right? You're yeah. going to a different country. So you should be the one that should adapt. They shouldn't right. be, right? right. Unless right. they come to Korea, then yes. you can expect them to adapt, right? So a lot of coaching around, you know, how to polish their narrative, how mm. to make it more international, how to articulate their value better, uh, and how to prepare overall for, for that expansion. Correct. 
And how about language? Was there ever a barrier? Always. Uh, <laughs> All the time. You know, especially with Korean companies. Yeah. 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 Big, big barrier. So there have been cases where the product is great and the investors are really pushing them to go abroad. So I would step up and I would try to lead some of their meetings yeah. internationally. Okay. You know, just in the beginning until I create, I build a trust. Yeah. And once the trust is there, I'm going to be like, okay, now the founders should step in a bit more and, and try to either hire someone yeah. who can come in and speak fluently English right. or, or whatever. But, but yeah, language has been <laughs> a massive problem with Korean companies, but getting better, getting yeah. better. Yeah. And I also notice and understand that you speak quite a number of languages. <laughs> what made you interested to pick up um, different languages? No Europeans speak a lot of languages. No Europeans speak a lot of languages. I, I'm kind of an exception that I didn't learn too many. I studied Russian uh, growing up, uh, but I never practiced. So like anything else kind of fades away. Right, right. But you know, you can read, I, I can read and, 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 you know, understand context. Okay. Uh, but I never practiced that much. Uh, then, you know, when I moved to Denmark, um, Denmark is a great country and very open because I moved there for studies. Yeah. So, so they opened their educational system for people in the EU. Mm. So I didn't need to pay anything right. to actually study there. So that was amazing. And the government had a lot of programs where they were trying to kind of help us integrate better. Mm. But day to day on the street, you know, talking to girls or, or, you know, trying to get a job. If you don't speak Danish, even yeah. though like maybe 80 something percent of the population in Denmark is fluent in English, yeah. people just ignore you. <laughs> uh, or or, or they'll be, be a bit upset or, you know, they'll be a bit disappointed. Like girls, like I remember going out party and I'd see this girl looking at me and I would go and say something in English and immediately she loses interest and I was like oh my god this is, this is terrible so so then you know like it's the kind of country where speaking the language makes a big difference right. even though everyone speaks English right. so I used to go to um, like a Danish school you know af after work or yeah. something like that and try to pick the language but the problem with the Danish language is that it's very difficult language for pronunciation mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of the vowels they have don't exist in my language. Right, right. So it took me like three or four years to start hearing them. <laughs> Before that, I couldn't even recognize the difference in, in pronunciation. So, so that was a tough language. I, I never mastered it, but, you know, again, by the end, I could, you know, read and, you know, like I, I didn't need help to order food or, you yeah. know, like find directions and stuff like that. So, yeah, I wouldn't say I'm fluent, but, you know, definitely we had the foundations that made me a bit more confident in my day to day. Right, right, right. And I, I, I'm quite curious to dive into, you know, your experiences living and working across many different countries. Um, you were in, you know, Bulgaria, Greece, Denmark, Taiwan, and then even here, Indonesia, Singapore. How has this global experience shaped the way you lead, um, drive projects, and also your perspective towards um, what you're going to do next? Yeah, I think that's a good question. You know, I was helping a French founder expand to Asia. Mm. And that was like a really wake-up call. So, you know, founders are very smart and they know they're smart, yeah. right? Because they raise capital, the product is working, yeah. and, you know, like to an extended list. So most founders are very, very uh, smart and confident. And some of them are very cocky and arrogant. Mm. So I was working with that guy and he asked for my help in introducing him to a few potential clients. Okay. And that's always very hard, right? Because I need to pull my personal network, my yes. personal social capital. But I was like, okay, that's a potentially big account back mm -hmm. in the greenhouse days. Yeah. So I was like, let's see. So I did introduce him to a few people. And you know, in Asia, 
you, like when you when you have a meeting, you don't directly start discussing the terms of payment yes, and yes. how it works. You're not like, oh, like <laughs> l- let's go directly to business. Usually, you like try to understand a bit the person, yes. trying to build a bit of a relationship, okay. try to understand the sto- their story, and yeah. you know, down the road, if things align, yeah. it makes sense. Then you close the deal. And that guy would just immediately jump on the topic, <laughs> and he would cut the local person. Uh, so much, you know, because he was very confident in his product and he just yeah. wanted to deliver the message and be done. Okay. He didn't want any anything nice to be said. He didn't want to build any relationship. Yeah. He was like, this is what I'm doing and if you're not interested, bye. Yeah. And I was just observing this and I was feeling like very uncomfortable, yeah. you know, because <laughs> that's also my personal correct, brand, correct, right? Exactly. And, and he had zero respect for culture. Mm. And at the same time, it was also a lesson for me of how much I have learned. Because yeah. I think if I, if I was... Uh, put in a room with an Asian businessman maybe 10 years ago. I might have been like him, mm. right? Very direct, yeah. too fast and, and all that. So it was a good realization about how much I have learned to right. adapt and appreciate different people and yeah. try to be a bit more tolerant. Mm-hmm. So that helps a lot. It's very hard to articulate it though. Yeah. It's very hard to teach other yeah. people. Like I've been running some workshops on culture and what I realized, it's it's very, very difficult to teach my team mm. how to do it well. Uh, but at the same time, it does help me to have the necessary confidence to take on any project and task across any country. And, and you know, just believe in myself that I can make yeah. it work, no matter how hard it is. Yeah. There would be frustrations, for sure, yeah. but I just have a lot more tolerance and patience than what I used to have. So mm. I guess... I hope that answers the question. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And interestingly, you mentioned you have also been conducting workshops on culture. Uh, what aspects of culture do you find the most important when conducting businesses? You know, culture is so hard to communicate. And I think culture is like this, if you look at these uh, analogies of having an iceberg, Mm. right? And, you know, like on on the very tip of the iceberg is what we see. Like now you go to Indonesia, for example, and you would see people dressing differently, like, and they're more religious. And you would be like, oh, this is so different. But actually that's like the very, very small differences. And now that I date someone in, Indonesia and I'm going really deep into the culture like I know the family and you know they start inviting me to family dinners and I start catching these very small nuances Mm -hmm. across everything they do and I understand the roots of the culture and how different it is. So only now I start really appreciating the depth of different cultures Um, and when I teach it you know this is very hard to explain so I like to use these frameworks like I'm sure you're familiar with Hofstede or mm-hmm. you know someone like Trompeneurs or yeah. Shane and you know because I, I studied in my master's mm-hmm. culture and communication. Right. Um, so that kind of maps yeah. quite well uh, because it's numeric yes. and, and it's easy to explain and then you can just throw a few examples. Right. Um, so this is a good way to kind of explain it to people and I think people get it and understand the importance of it once they see it. Yeah. How would you advise someone who is moving to a new country to um, quickly understand and adapt to the culture of the, the uniqueness, cult- unique culture of each country? I think, you know, if the decision for you to move, it's your decision and mm-hmm. you're excited, you would embrace it and you would yeah. turn really fast. But if you're forced, let's say mm-hmm. your company is like, you need to go there and there is a problem, I need to fix it. Yeah. You know, often what happens is like the person doesn't want to be there. Right. And if the person doesn't want to be there, he, does, he or she does not appreciate anything. Yeah. About it, so so that's very hard to teach someone like that. Yeah, they just refuse to learn. But but if you if you want to be there, um, I think you're naturally inclined mm-hmm. to observe. And I think the most important thing is just to be much more patient. Yeah, and observant. 
and perhaps to connect with other experts mm. and and then have experts who've been there for a while yeah because the experts would notice these things right because right, all right, of them right. had these small frustrations that <laughs> you would have and then you and you know because a local if you if you explain it to a local the local cannot relate yeah for them that's the way it is mm. right but the next part would be like yeah i recognize this is how they do it here and yeah. this is how i do it in my country yeah. right yeah. so from that perspective i think you know talking to experts that lead teams mm. um could be very very beneficial because it just summarizes a lot of small bits of knowledge that right, right, right. they have observed over a long time yeah and and if someone is new to a new uh, to a country how do you advise them to quickly build the networks um, be connected to the expert community I mean, you know, I, I can speak only of the startup ecosystem. Mm -hmm. um, what I like about a startup ecosystem is that people are fairly open. Okay. There is a lot of events, yeah. there is a lot of communities, yeah. and That's people right. would embrace you mm. uh, as long as, you know, you operate with integrity. Yeah. Uh, which means, you know, like it's clear that you're not trying to just get something out of someone, yeah. but you're also trying to support however you can. So right. as long as you're building, I call it social capital, mm. like, you know, so you invest in small things like making introductions and yeah. being nice to people and, you know, like helping them with small things that they might need. Yeah. Uh, I think people would pay it back, mm. right? So just going to different events, joining different communities. Like I'm a member of several communities here in Singapore. And in fact, it's very hard for me to stay on top of everything going on. <laughs> But, but that's super helpful because, you know, it gives me an overview and I can always just tap on different communities yeah. and see what's going on and, and, and connect with the right people. Mm. Because, again, connecting with the wrong community might backfire yeah. uh, because these are very, very different people with different needs. Uh, let's say that, you know, I'm a tech founder. Mm. Um, I would love to spend time with founders or even developers yeah. or product designers or product people. But then if I would go to perhaps let's say scientists yeah. or something like that, who is a bit more introverted and don't go out as much. Yeah. Uh, maybe that would be a bit harder for me to mm -hmm. relate and connect. That's and right. then there is no exchange of value. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and maybe two last questions. One is uh, for people who are looking to relocate in general, what advice do you have for them? Relocate anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere. I, I think, you know, uh, don't overthink it. Mm -hmm. No matter how well we plan. There's going to be a lot of things that kind of frustrate you and going to be different and, and, and you wouldn't understand and might be confusing. Uh, so just do it, you know, like yeah. just like I remember the first time I moved countries. A lot of people called me crazy because, you know, I, I come from a family that could not support me financially. Okay. So a lot of people were like, this is plain stupidity. Like you're going to regret this big time because you're going to get your family into a trouble. Um, and, and then, you know, like you, it's going to be bad for everyone. But then I was like, you know, too naive to... To think about it so i just dived into it and it was hard in the beginning absolutely yeah but because i wanted it i made it work mm. right i figured out a way to make it work so rather than overthinking and saying oh maybe I, I, let's do it you know three years later or two years later when i'm more financially stable yeah. i think you know you can make the leap irrespective of almost irrespective of your network yeah right and and you can live with very little or with quite a bit like mm. here in singapore especially everyone talks about how expensive singapore is and it is. Real estate is quite expensive, mm. but you can also live very humbly. Okay. And I know quite okay. a few people who live humbly. So it's a choice, right? Mm. It's a lifestyle, and I think you can control that. So if you really want that experience, I think you should go for it, and you shouldn't overthink it. Yeah. And it's, in your opinion, is building startups in different countries, has it been very different? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the mindset, uh, the talent the complexity of the legislation system mm. like uh, everything like you know in emerging markets in southeast asia you have a lot of foundations missing right you know so the education is not that yeah. great in many of these countries you know i remember we were looking for an accountant uh at greenhouse long time back maybe i don't know five six years ago 
and a guy who works on a crocodile farm in Java applied. Yeah. And I was shocked. I was like, how did he fight about this, right? You know, so, so you experience these kind of things yeah. and, and people are like not showing up for interviews or, you know, like things that in Europe are unthinkable. Like right, usually right. people would do it. Yes. So like you experience a lot of small frustrations. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, the opportunity is quite big. Yeah. Right, you know, the markets are very, like... Population is really big, the economy is growing, and you sense this excitement yeah. in the air because everyone feels it. Because I mean, I can just imagine living here because what Singapore is 58 years old, yes. right? So, you know, your grandparents or parents would remember what it is to be much poorer, mm-hmm. and then living through this, I'm sure it charges you with a lot of excitement. Yeah. So, people overall are much more optimistic, I feel, in yeah. Asia versus. You know, in the West, West is a lot more pessimistic, mm-hmm. I feel, because I don't know, I, I guess it's stagnated to an extent. Right, right, some, right. Of the, some of the economies, I guess, not all of them. So because of that, I just like that energy. Mm. Um, so the benefit of building something here is that everyone want to do something and everyone yes. want to grow and, and, and you just feel it and it charges you with energy. And the market is big and opportunity is there and mm-hmm. so many things are broken. So you have many opportunities yes. to fix things. Yes. Whereas, you know, in developed markets, you would have the foundations, right? Mm. Uh, like it's much easier, I guess, to find people who are qualified yeah. uh, for what you need. Um, but at the same time, also the challenge is they're so social, this country, European countries are very right, social. Right, right. It's like impossible to fire someone. <laughs> you make a mistake of firing the wrong person and you're just screwed, right? Yeah. So pros and cons, right? Depends what you want to do. Um, if you want to also be building something really sophisticated and complicated, like a moonshot, what they yeah. call it, right? Yeah. Very hard in Asia. You don't have the necessary talent. So if you're building like spaceships, right? Like you need to be in, in North America. Yeah. If you're building something um, difficult, you have to be there. Here is more like things that are proven and work. Mm. Uh, but now you can scale them and localize them and make sure that they solve a unique problem in these markets. Yeah, 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 yeah. And having been to, you know, so many different countries, being almost a global citizen, where would you call home at the end of the day? You know, um, I still look at my home country, like where I'm born and raised, because I spent 18 years there. Mm. Uh, so Bulgaria is still my home. But like, I don't know how to explain it. Whenever any of the countries where I resided does something good, yeah. I'm like, I'm proud of that. I, I feel like I feel like I have a piece of that nationality. Yeah. Uh, so like the good things, I would be like, oh, I'm so proud of you. Like if Taiwan does something nice or Greece does something nice, or whenever Denmark appears on some nice... I don't know, like uh, happiness index. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's amazing. I, I just feel so proud yes. because I spent some time there and I feel like I belong a bit. And if something bad happens, I kind of ignore it. <laughs> no, I, I try to, I, I'm not living there anymore. Not yeah. my problem, deal with it. Right. So I still call to answer your question, Bulgaria, my home, but mm. it's it's a selective home base. Okay. So sometimes it's Bulgaria, Bulgaria, another, like when Singapore does something cool, like, oh, I'm so proud of Singapore, right? So like you would just selectively switch that uh, as per the situation. Okay. And I think um, that wraps up today's episode. Thank you so much for sharing, Victor. Really appreciate all your insights and also um, share with us the dif- your different experiences across building startups in the region as well as um, in Europe as well. Um, that has been very insightful for me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Business Beyond Borders. If you have any feedback or thoughts, do write into us at support at bluen.com. Click to follow to tune into the next episode. See you again soon.